0: We hope you're blessed and encouraged by the following study from Calvary Chapel Elmani. It's our simple prayer that you would grow stronger and deeper in an intimate and personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Should you have any questions, please feel free to contact us here at Calvary Chapel Elmani. Open our Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 5. As we continue our journey through this letter and we're learning the responsibilities we have as a church, these things are dictated to us and demanded not from the culture or the current Christian world, but we're going to see, I think even today, that these are things that might surprise us, but they're the demands and the dictations from God and from His Word. Now Today we learned something that might be a bit surprising, and that is the responsibility the church has to support godly widows if their families aren't able to do so. Of course, we're going to see that responsibility is first given to the children or grandchildren, the biological family. But if for some reason that biological family has neglected their responsibility or is not able to support their widow, then the responsibility is then passed on to the theological family, the church. Look what we read in verse 3. Paul writing to Timothy, he says, Honor widows who are really widows. But if any widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show piety at home and to repay their parents. For this is good and acceptable before God. Now she who is really a widow and left alone trusts in God and continues in supplications and prayers night and day. But she who lives in pleasure is dead while she lives. And these things command that they may be blameless. But if anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for those of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. You know, in reading this right here, I, I was thinking, Lord, but it would be cool to do a Mother's Day message today and, uh, I, I didn't really believe that God led me in that direction. I, I, I felt like He just said, just keep teaching through 1st Timothy. But, like, what we're going to study today is kind of cool, and it is good for moms. Uh, as a matter of fact, what we're going to study today basically says, uh, that if dad dies, sons, daughters, take care of your mom. And I don't know about you, but I was thinking that might be a pretty good Mother's Day message. <laughs> you know, I, I know sometimes I talk to my son and uh, he say, Dad, you know, I was, I was saying, hey, son, you got to get a job. You got to support a family one day. So make sure you're getting ready now. And you know your responsibility and, you know, we're praying for your wife and things like that. And he always tells me, Dad, the Lord's going to come first. You know, the Lord's going to come, you know. And, and it's true, you know, we're living in a world where just things are happening so, so fast that... The Lord might come, but you know what? He might tarry. Because the Bible says that with the Lord, one day is a thousand years, a thousand years is one day. And, uh, and if he does, chances are dad's going to die. You know, sometimes Shelly and I will have that conversation and she'll say, No, I'm going first. She said, God loves me f- more than he loves you. And so I'm going first, you know. And uh, I don't know. Um, I tell her, no, heart diseases is my family, and you know, you guys live long, and so we have this conversation, and uh, but the, the, the odds are, the statistics are, that dad's gonna die first. And so, what happens when dad dies? And that's why this is such a relevant study. It's very, very practical because many of us are going to cross that bridge one day. And not only that, some of your friends, some of your Christians are crossing this bridge and you will bring God's counsel to them and we as a church, we will understand something that I think has been neglected in the current current of Christianity and that is that if the biological family doesn't take care of the widows, then we have responsibility to do that. You know, the world of widows. Every year, 700,000 women in America will lose their husbands. And statistics tell us that they will be widows for an average of 14 years. Some get remarried, some pass on. There are many of them in America, and almost half the women, 65 years and above in the United States of America, are widows. And of those widows, 70% of them Live alone. And so it's a very relevant study for us. One report showed that for the past 30 years or more, the rate of poverty among elderly widows in America is consistently three to four times higher than elderly married women. And so in reading this today, I think we're going to see it's very practical and, of course, it's very spiritual. He says there in verse 3, Honor widows who are really widows. The Greek word honor is a a word that refers to showing high respect and esteem for another, but it also means uh, to price. And so it carries a financial twist to it. As a matter of fact, sometimes, you know, you go and you have a guest speaker and, you know, or, or you speak somewhere, they give you what's called an honorarium. It comes from the same Greek word. And speaking of that honor. Not just respecting, not just showing esteem, but even sometimes doing so in a financial way. And so the Christian church is called to honor widows, says, who are really widows. It must have been real difficult, huh, back then for a widow. Without husband, without son, without daughter, or even grandchild, think about that. If they're in that situation to make it financially In those days, there was no government assistance and therefore the widow and orphan were considered more than anyone else destitute and in need of special care. And so, of course, the Lord steps in who values all the vulnerable and he teaches us first. Here we're going to see in our biological family to honor widows. But then if necessary, the theological family is to then pick up where they left off. Now we see this early in church history. If you remember back in Acts chapter 6, verse 1, we find that there was actually a daily distribution for the widows. And so it's embedded in church history. It's already been implemented early on. And what we find, it was the heart and the start of the church. Remember James, the brother of Jesus, he wrote in James 1.27, Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world." And so there's a simple passage we find among the few things, only three things mentioned there, as to what true Christianity really is, is valuing and visiting orphans and widows, providing for them in difficult times. It's a short list, but it's a sure list. And I think it's a neglected list by the church. Because we're so caught up in... Our own church system, you know we know that this is something that was early on in the heart of the church, probably because they came out of Judaism. If you go back to Deuteronomy uh, chapter ten, um, the Lord talked a lot about it in the Old Testament. In Deuteronomy chapter ten, it says that he God, administers justice for the fatherless and the widow, and he loves the stranger, giving him food and clothing. See, the Lord has a special place in his heart, a special part of his heart for those who are really, truly in that place of need. Um, you know, God takes care of them. And so maybe you're here today and you're thinking, well, man, he God takes care of them. So, you know, I'm probably not a part of it. But, you know, we need to be really careful. We can't say that God's going to take care of them and so I don't have a part in it. No, God does take care of them, but he usually uses his people. To take care of them. People who would be willing to learn and live his word. You know, just as a quick side note, and looking at this, I want you guys to know that it doesn't have to be mystical. You don't have to hear some audible voice. Manny, take care of the orphan. I heard his voice. No, it's already written in God's word. That's why Joshua and Caitlin are adopting an orphan in Cambodia because the Bible says we're to do things like that. Oh, no, no. You know what? These are things that are very, very practical. We have to check our heart. You know, Isaiah chapter 1, verse 17, God said, learn to do good, seek justice, rebuke the oppressor, defend the fatherless, and plead for the widow. Now, we're to plead for them. We're to provide for them. He says in Deuteronomy 14:28 and 29, at the end of every third year, you shall bring out the tithe of your produce of that year and store it up within your gates. And the Levite, because he has no portion nor inheritance with you, and the stranger and the fatherless and the widow who are within your gates may come and eat and be satisfied that the Lord your God may bless you and all the work of your hand which you do, you see, the early church—they right, right away. Think about that—a daily distribution for the widows. It was really there in the star in their heart, because it, they had come out of Judaism, right? And it's something that we see is real religion. As a matter of fact, later we read in Deuteronomy twenty-four, seventeen: "You shall not pervert justice, do the stranger or the fatherless, nor take a widow's garment as a pledge." And so we need to. Be so careful in this area. Paul, right here in Timothy, think about this, okay, for you Bible scholars. He takes verse 3 all the way through 16, and he deals with widows. And so it must have been pretty prevalent in his heart. A good chunk of time and space to ensure that there would be benevolence for widows who are really widows. And we're going to see as we go through our text today that this responsibility begins with the children, but if that's not happening, it could come through the church family. And so look again in verse 3. Honor widows who are really widows, but if any widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show piety at home and to repay their parents, for this is good and acceptable before God. And so I don't know, you know, I mean, hopefully we all get raptured. Would not that be cool? You know, I mean, right now, Lord, let's just do this, man. But you know, if he tarries, you know, dad might die. Your husband might die. And so what do we do then? How does it all work? And you know, I know nowadays we have government assistance, but even in that we're going to see there's more to it as far as the responsibility is for the children to honor their parents and to take care of them and provide for them. But you know, If we cross that bridge, now we know exactly what to do. And the the Lord just lays it out for us. A widow is a man whose husband has died, and it's a difficult, difficult place for the weaker vessel to be. It's a very difficult place. You know, when you talk to, sometimes these couples have been married for a long time, long time, 20, 30, 40, sometimes 50 years. And then, you know, one of the dad dies. I mean, You know, hey, shake it off, Mom. He's in heaven. It's not like that. You know, it can be difficult at times. According to the Scriptures, if the children or grandchildren are alive and old enough, they are the ones to take care of them in many ways and, and to repay them. They need to learn, notice what it says right there, let them first learn to show piety at home and to repay their parents. The Greek word piety, it means to act uh, with reverence. The dictionary defines it as a quality of being religious or reverent. And this spirituality, this piety, this reverence, he says, must begin at home. It must begin at home. You know, we have to guard ourselves against it beginning at church. Where you're one person at home and you're a different person at church and you put on a show. God says, no, the piety, the religion, the reverence, it, it begins at home. And let me tell you something. If it doesn't start there, then it's not going anywhere. Because you come to church and you lift your hands and God sees what's really going on. And so he says, it's got to begin at home, our Priority should be our piety at home, first with the family. And yet it's sad to say and it's sad to see that oftentimes piety is not found in the family, it's not shown in the home, it's shown elsewhere but not there, and we end up with, you know, a retarded religion, an incorrect Christianity. And I just pray that in looking at that simple verse, man, that we know it's gotta be real, it must be first and foremost with the family, it's gotta be something that we have in our home. If dad dies, the children are to take care of their mom. If her children can't or don't or are dead, then the grandchildren are to take care of grandma if they're old enough. And it's pretty much that simple. And maybe you're here and you're thinking, yeah, but you know what, Manny? You know, my 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 mom is a widow and she has more money than I do. <laughs> You know, so, man, shouldn't she take care of me? Okay, well, I know there are situations like that. Even I remember my uh, my mother-in-law, she had more money than we did. And so she she was so cool. She would always buy me a carne asada burrito after church, man, always. She took care of me. But, you know, if they don't have that, the financial stability, the children have to pick it up. But even if they do... We're going to see in the word provide that there is this whole concept of caring and considering them, thinking of them. See, and it's this whole beautiful picture of honoring our parents. Someone says, well, now things are different. Now they have widows' pensions and social security, and it's true. You know, we have all that, and God can take care of them through such means, but you as a child, keep an eye on them, care for them, remember them, Give them a call, give them a visit. It's important to know these things. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 2, it's still there. Honor your father and your mother. It's in the New Testament, right? Verse 3, it says that if we honor our parents, we're going to have a long life in the land. And what we find, look at this right here. It says, for this is good and acceptable before God. You know, and isn't that what it's all about, you guys? I want to know what's good. I want to know what's acceptable to you, Lord. I want to know what's good to God and acceptable to the Almighty. And that's how church is. We come to church, service, and we learn. We read the Bible and we learn. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 17 says, Therefore do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Romans 12, and verse 1 and 2, it says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. In other words, you're like, God, have my body. Have my, my, from head to toe, my heart, my days, I'm all yours, right? But then he goes on to say, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable, there it is again, and perfect will of God. And, and this is, and this is what we find. I know some of you here, and, and even sometimes on Mother's Day, and just, I don't know, this whole setting, it can be difficult because you're like, man, my parents aren't alive anymore. Or I don't even know, you know, my mom or my dad or whatever, you know. I'll bet, though, even though that's a difficult thing for you to experience, you would probably be the first to say, you mean to tell me you still got your mom? You still got them? Take care of them. You know, because we know it's right, and the Bible says it's good and acceptable to Him. See, one of the dangers, and and I'll be the first to admit, you know, being involved in ministry and, and just having this whole church life, the whole current of cultural Christianity will oftentimes try to ruin your primary responsibility to God and His people. Why? Because you do, you know, church ministry, so to speak. We need to be really careful with that because that can, again, give us these evil excuses and demented disguises, and we think that we're right on with God and religious, and we actually aren't. As a matter of fact, um, go over to Mark chapter 7. It says in verse 1 that the Pharisees and some of the scribes came together to him. They came to Jesus from Jerusalem. Now when they saw some of his disciples eat bread with defile, that is with unwashed hands, they, they found fault. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands in a special way, holding the tradition of the elders. When they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other things which they have received and hold, like washing of cups, pitchers, copper vessels, and couches. You know, the, the Pharisees, they were like, you know, the religious guys, man. They were they were there a lot in the temple and they had the special wardrobe and, you know, they were the separated ones. And they had just a, a million rules and regulations and they thought they were so right on with the Lord. Think about that. They were, they were criticizing Jesus because he didn't wash his hands in a certain way. You know, this is even where they would wash, you know, cups and pitchers and vessels and even couches. When was the last time you washed your couch? Seriously, man. You know, but what they did was in there, I think maybe it started off right. I think maybe it started off sincerely. I just want to do what's right. And here the Bible says, you know, boom. And so you take that principle or that precept and you give that one precept all of your rules and regulations. They're yours. They're not explicitly written in the Bible. But you then began to teach it. As the commandments of men, and what ends up happening a lot of times is people are hypocritical, and they keep the commandments of men, and they nullify the word of God. And that was what was happening right here. These guys were all, you know, criticizing Jesus because he wasn't doing their rule, and he wasn't washing his hand. I mean, one thing I learned, especially in doing construction or yard work. You don't have to wash your hands, man. You can eat with dirty hands. You can. As a matter of fact, I think it builds up a resistance because what it ends right? Isn't that true? No, I just joking. <laughs> but it's so cool when you see these construction guys and they're all, you know, doing all this crazy stuff and their hands are like everywhere. And then it's time to eat. I, I just, I don't know why. It's just like cool. oh Yeah, let's eat. You know, no one's washing their hands. <laughs> But here we these guys were criticizing the Lord. Man, no. and what does the Lord do? He really sets them straight in verse uh, five. The Pharisees and scribes they asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to tradition, nor is this tradition of the elders, but they eat bread with unwashed hands, and he answered and said to them, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites as it is written, this people they honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me, and in vain they worship me. Teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Be so careful you don't teach your commandments. Be careful. He says these people, they say all the right things. They honor me with their lips. But their hearts are far from me. And when they worship me, you know what? It's vanity. And the Lord goes on to say in verse 8, For laying aside the commandment of God, you hold the tradition of men, the washing of pitchers and cups, and many other such things you do. And he said to them, All too well you reject the commandment of God, that you may keep your tradition. For Moses said, Honor your father and your mother. And he who curses father and mother, you know, let him be put to death. I mean that's real serious. But you say, if a man says to his father or mother, Whatever profit you might have received from me is Corbin, that is the gift of God, then you no longer let him do anything for his father or his mother, making the word of God of no effect through your tradition which you have handed down, and many such things you do. And so it was like this, um just you know, and there's a principle here, but here we see what was going on is like you know they their, their their parents were hurting mom you know didn't have any food or whatever you know just trying to make ends meet their bills are piling up they're losing the house i don't know and you know here's a child he's got money but what is he doing rather than rather than giving it to their parents in a very practical tangible way to help them they found a loophole, this religious loophole that says I don't, I don't have to, I, I I have a way out. It's Corbin, I'm going to give it to God. I'm going to give it, you know, whatever the special offering. And the Lord says, you know what? That's not what this is all about. The Lord said, you guys have invented these little traditions and these commandments of men, when in all reality, Christianity is a very, very practical thing. Talking about people. I'm talking about people who are in your life that you're ignoring, that I've called you to love, called you to spend time with them, sometimes to help them out financially. See, we have to be so careful that we don't get, you know, just uh, religious here. We have to be careful that we don't hold to tradition, but rather we hold to truth. God teaches us to take care of our parents, to watch over the widow, to plead for them, and to provide for them. This care should begin with the biological family. And if that's not possible, then through the theological family. But we're going to see that if the church supports them, back in 1 Timothy, that if the church supports them, then here it is. The widow does have a certain responsibility as well. Okay, so let's make sure we make this clear. You're here, you're a son, you're a daughter, your dad dies. Your mom needs help. Okay, now that doesn't mean that she's got to, you know, be this perfect Christian. Right on, you know, you're not going to help her. You know, God will give you the wisdom and all that. But if you're a church, she does have to be right on. She does. Because we've seen over the years that some people will milk the church, huh? I was reading one story about a pastor. He got this amazing sob story from someone who was living in a motel. And uh, I'll tell you what. We get probably in here at Calvary Chapel Almighty, we get at least one call a week, at least. Somebody who's in a hotel and they want us to pay their hotel. You know, and in the beginning I would. Sorry, I'm sorry. And then I kind of learned, you know, that they're they're not sincere. They're not really seeking the Lord. They'll pray the prayer to receive Christ right there and then, but they don't mean it. And so what ends up happening this guy went and he and he took the, the 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 benevolence and he opens up the motel room and we find just a mess drugs alcohol things on television that shouldn't be shown and there there's the guy in in the yellow pages calling the next church. And so that does happen huh. And that's why you know we've got to make sure that we don't you know mess things up and a widow who's really a widow who doesn't have Biological support from the family, you know then they can have theological they should have theological and financial support from this theological family, but they have qualifications as well and this is cool because it's something I think that is good for all of us to to read. Notice what it says in verse five: Now she who is really a widow and left alone, trusts in God and continues in supplications and prayers night and day. You know, and one day that, you know, in all reality, we, this might be you. We're here as a church. We want to do things God's way. And so how does it work? Well, you've got to be, be a real widow, and these are things that you have to take to heart. I like what Warren Wiersbe said. He said, these widows were cared for by the church, but the widows in turn helped to care for the church. And what a powerful ministry widows can have. They're left alone. And that means that they're freed up to do what? To watch soap operas. No, I'm just to play bingo. No. You can play bingo, but be careful, okay? No, they're freed up to do what? To stand in the gap, man. They're freed up to intercede and plead. They're freed up for all these crazy situations in the congregations that need constant supplications. And there you are as a widow. You're freed up to to pray for them night and day. And that's what he's saying. And and just in case you're thinking, well, there's no way that I could do that, anyone could do that, pray night and day, go over to Luke chapter 2, if you would. Luke chapter 2 and verse 36. This is Now there was one, Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. And she was of a great age and had lived with a husband seven years from her virginity. And so more than, likely, more than likely this means that she was married for seven years. Right? And this woman was a widow of about 84 years. But notice what she did. She did not depart from the temple, but served God with fastings and prayers, night and day. See, and that that's God's calling if you ever come to that place. And we're going to see later on as we go through First Timothy five, that the younger ones is good for for you to be married, and you know, we're not supposed to take one in the list uh, sixty years and younger, but the day may come. Where your husband passes on and you're like, what do I do with my life? What do I do with my life now? Well, now you know what God's calling you to do is to pray and to fast. And you are going to be a blessing to the church. And hopefully the church will be a blessing to you. Here we see Anna who just does these things. And what ends up happening, God rewards her in verse 38. And coming in that instant, there she is again on her way to the temple. It says she gave thanks to the Lord and spoke of him, speaking of Jesus, to all those who look for redemption in Jerusalem. Because that was when they took Jesus to the temple. And they were going to dedicate him. And there is Anna. And what we find is that she got to see Jesus. See, and God will bless you. God will bless the widows who do what they're called to do. First Timothy 5.3 says, Honor widows who are really widows. And here in verse 5 we read that she who is really a widow is also a prayer warrior. And there's a certain quality. There's a godly quality about them. And what we find is that this is what God's called widows to do. But the thing is, is that you guys know That not every woman who loses her husband is a godly woman. Huh. And that's what we read next. He says in verse 6, But she who lives in pleasure is dead while she lives. The Greek word translated pleasure, it means to live luxuriously or to give oneself to pleasure. It's kind of like the antithesis of what we read earlier. See, you guys... It's life as simple as a Christian. Either you live to please God, or you live to please yourself. And there are some widows who, unfortunately, they'll live to please themselves. And so the Lord says, well, you may have survived physically, but you're dead spiritually. You see, and there's that challenge. You know, I know, like I've told you guys many times before, and of course I'm speaking to myself as well, God doesn't just tell us these things for revelation or look at them. God tells us these things for transformation. How about, you know, not just widows, but how about you? Who do you live to please? Is it the Lord? Is it really the Lord? Or or is it yourself? James chapter 5, verse 5 uses the same Greek word. You have lived on the earth in pleasure and luxury. You have fatted your hearts as in the day of slaughter. You see, it's not good. And Paul tells Timothy that widows who live for only themselves, they might be a physical survivor, but they are not alive spiritually. And we see this happen frequently in the Bible. The prodigal son was described as being dead while he lived in Luke 15, 24. And the Bible says this, at the wages of sin is death. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you know, and uh, sometimes on Mother's Day we'll get visitors um, and, you know, my heart goes out to you especially. You know, I mean, I think it's cool that maybe you're here to, to please your mom, you know, because she said, this is all I want, an iPad and you come to church, that's it, you know. And so you're like, okay, Mom, I can't do the iPad thing, but I can go to church with you, okay? <laughs> I tell you what, though, more than that, more than you going to church is going to heaven. And you're not going to make it to heaven without Jesus. You're dead in your sins, and the Lord will give you life. And that's the real reason why you're here. And so what you need to do is turn from your sins and trust in Christ as the Lord and Savior of your life. It's a free gift. Heaven is free. But you have to make sure that you receive Christ. See, the woman who lives in pleasure, even though she's alive physically, it says right here that she's dead spiritually. And the truth of the matter is not all widows in the church would qualify to be honored in the biblical, practical, and material way. And so he says this is how they should live. And Warren Risby wrote something and i got to read this to you. He said this, it has been my experience in three different pastorates that godly widows are spiritual powerhouses. They are the backbone of the prayer meetings. They give themselves to visitation and they swell the ranks of teachers in the Sunday school. But, he said, it has also been my experience that if a widow is not godly, she can be a problem to the church. She will oftentimes demand attention, complain about what the younger people do, and oftentimes she'll hang on the phone and gossip. Of course, not calling it gossip. She just wants her friends to be able to pray more intelligently in these matters. And so Paul said, he made it clear that church-helped widows must be blameless. See, And that's what we have to come away with, you guys. We have to be careful in all these things, knowing our responsibility, but knowing what then might be irresponsibility. And so Paul tells Timothy there in verse 7, and these things command that they may be blameless. And that was his responsibility. We see it in chapter 4, verse 11. We'll see it again in chapter 6, verse 2, that Timothy was just to teach these things. That was his responsibility. And here we see that he wants, Paul wants, these widows, probably in reference to the widows, to be blameless. Of course, he also wants the churches to be blameless, as well as the children. And so we read one more verse, in verse 8. He says, But if anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for those of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. And so there you are and you're a Christian and your dad dies and your mom needs help but you don't help her. You don't help her financially. You don't help her emotionally. You don't help her spiritually. You don't care for her. You don't think of her. You've got different responsibilities now. Then God says, you, my friend, have denied the faith. And you, savvy he says, you're worse than an unbeliever. And it's a heavy, heavy precept that has different applications for us. It's a heavy verse for children, for sons especially, daughters, and of course it's very applicable to husbands and fathers, especially those who claim to be believers. You know, the Greek word translated provide, and that's an interesting word, pronoio, it does mean to provide for materially and financially, but at the core of its meaning, it means to take thought for, it means to care for. And so if a child doesn't do this for his mom, a husband for his wife, a father for his children, then the father then the Bible says he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. See, right there again, if anyone does not provide for his own and especially for those of his household. And so I think that obviously includes kids with their mom, maybe dad sometimes, depending on the situation, Um, definitely applicable to husbands providing for their wives, dads providing for their children. It's a heavy verse. It says right there, That if you haven't done these things, then you've got some serious consequences. William McDonald said, Such a person is worse than an unbeliever for the simple reason that many unbelievers show loving care for their parents. How many of you here, you probably know some non-believers who really care for their parents in a very tangible way. You know, some of the unbelievers, man, they put us to shame at times. But also a Christian can thus bring reproach on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ In a way that an unbeliever can't. And so there you are, you're neglecting your responsibility. People know you're a Christian, you serve in the church, you're highly involved in ministry. What does that do to the name of Jesus Christ? It brings reproach. And so to not care for one's mother is not the way we follow Christ. You know, when our Lord was dying, you guys remember he was on the cross. And his mom was there, his friend John was there, and he made sure that his mother was taken care of. We read in John 19:26 26-27, when Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing by, he said to his mother, woman, behold your son. And he said to the disciple, behold your mother. And from that hour, that disciple took her to his home. You see what the Lord is doing there is he's providing for his mother. Now Jesus had other brothers but they weren't believers. And so there's so much here financially, spiritually, taking care of his mom. Now unfortunately some Catholics will look at that and they say see Jesus made Mary the mother of us all. No, that's not what he did. He's just taking care of his mom that she has a place to stay. John Look at her as a mom now. Mom, look at him as a son now. And we, we need to do the same. See, God sees and people are watching and we got you know answer to whether or not we're following the Lord and living like the Lord and what kind of witness am I leaving? See, if a man doesn't provide for his own, he says right there, and especially those of his own household, especially his immediate family, then he's denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. And do you guys see what's going on there? All of us men here, do we see what's going on? You know, and my son, he's 17 years old, and, and we're living in a world now where, um, you know, the economy is tough, huh? The economy is tough. But, but you've got to know that the Lord will guide when you have a heart to provide for your family. And I do believe it has to do with sons taking care of their parents. But you've you got to know, this is also talking to dads. This is also talking to husbands, right? How we, with these hands, got to provide for our family. And it's important for us to know that. You know, I know one man who has four different children from three different women. He never married any of them. And he's never provided for any of them either. He still doesn't care. And he claims to be a Christian. Let me ask you guys a question. When he stands before God one day, do you think he's going to be in trouble? Big time. Because we fathers, we husbands, we men, we have a responsibility to use our biceps for... (laughs) More than just, oh, yeah, did you check them out? Man, they're so big, right? <laughs> you know, and, and it's kind of funny. I mean, sometimes you see these guys and they go work out, and that's cool if you want to go work out and you want to look all buff and cut and ripped and all that stuff. But, and I think to myself, I mean, I do a little cardiovascular, but I think, man, they'd be better off just working out in the yard, man, <laughs> doing some yard work, you know? Maybe going and helping someone build a house or help this lady mow her lawn, doing things, I think, in a more constructive and practical way. We have energy and we have strength. I don't know if the Lord work out, (laughs) you know, get big and buff. I don't know, man. I mean, that's between you and the Lord. But, man, I think that we are called to provide in a way that, man, sometimes guys don't understand. Lord, I went to church. Yeah, but you didn't provide for your kids. Remember, piety, spirituality, Christianity, it begins at home. And I understand it's not easy nowadays, but God will guide. Matthew 6.33, Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. He'll give you a job when you put God first. He will. Oh, but you don't understand. We're living in a recession. No, He will give you a job. You will. We need to provide for our households, and men need to provide for their families. You know, and I know a lot of you guys have stories. I remember there was a time when we first got married, I worked two jobs, I worked seven days a week. I had five days off all year. Now, let me share something. I don't think men should do that in order to get the big house or the fancy car or the luxuries in life. Why? Because your children need you. They need you to be there, Dad. And they need you there infinitely more than they need any of the fancy stuff or the extras. But let me say this, if that's what it takes to make ends meet and to keep your head above water, then may men be men. May men be hard workers to provide for their families. See we shouldn't deny the faith by the way we live we should rather affirm the faith in very practical biblical ways that are laid out clearly in scripture you know and this whole thing about you know helping you know parents and it's a struggle for some couples maybe because you made it a struggle you know i know some wives they won't let their husbands do this for their for their mom and i know some husbands who do too much of this <laughs> Right, they're they're mama's boys. But don't throw out the baby with the bathwater. The Bible says that if a man you know finds a wife, therefore he leaves and cleaves, he leaves father and mother and becomes one with his wife. Right? Yeah, I understand that, but it doesn't neglect the responsibility that he has as a husband. And I know sometimes some parents are very difficult, and I wish that you parents wouldn't make it so difficult. Now, some of you here, you like some of you wives, are like, I preach it, man, I preach it. The, the, the in-laws, the in-laws, oh, they're the outlaws, you know, and they're so bad, right? Yeah, and I understand that, you know, but, you know, God's not going to bless your family to the extent that he wants to bless your family if your husband is not obedient in this area of his life. You need to be there. You need to be supportive. You guys have to work together on these things. You Wise know, wives you need to be careful, and they need to know the responsibility of their husbands. You might get your way, but, you know what? You might get in the way of what God really wants to do. And of course, it's not just sons, it's also daughters, sometimes even son-in-laws, sometimes even daughter-in-laws. You know, you guys remember the story of Ruth, and we'll close with this. Uh, beautiful, beautiful, beautiful woman. Remember what happened was, the family moved to Moab because there was a famine in Israel. And so, you know, they go and then think about this. You know, your husband dies and then your your two sons die. And all you got left is a couple of daughter-in-laws. And you're thinking, man, this is probably not going to be very beneficial, right? And so Naomi, she says, you know what? My husband died. My sons died. I'm just going to have to go back to Israel. And you tell you what, you girls, you just stay here. You've got your whole life ahead of you. You know, get married. Have a family. Take care of yourself. And so Orpah, you know, she, she kissed, you know, Naomi. And she said, okay, I'll, I'll go live my life. But what does the Bible say? Ruth, her daughter-in-law, she clung to her. You know, and this whole thing about what we're talking about right here, I'll tell you what, with daughter-in-laws, That's where it can be very challenging. But Ruth, she was so much like the Lord. And she clung to her. And she said, don't make me go away. She said, your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. Where you die, I will die. And there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me and more also, if anything but death. Parts you and me. And what ended up happening? Ruth went back and she provided for her mother in law. And she went and she started gleaning in the fields. And what did God do? God did such a great work. You see, I mean it shouldn't be us, and then we do it so many times. We look to the government to do everything, you know, to raise our children. I mean, if Caesar raises your children, don't be surprised when they serve Caesar. Look for the government to take care of the orphans and the widows. What are they going to do with them? What will the church do? And that's why the Lord says all these things. You know, I know it's not a Mother's Day message, but I tell you what, maybe it is. Because one day when dad dies, if dad dies, maybe your child will give you the greatest gift of all, better than an iPad. They'll take care of you the way they should. And so, Lord, we thank you for your word. Lord, I pray that you would just work in every heart. And I know these can be sticky situations. But Lord, give us wisdom on how to let piety, let Christianity really begin.